Open in the scriptures, if you would please, to Romans, the 12th chapter. Romans chapter 12. We've been on a series for some uh, weeks now that we're calling the perfect will of God. And the Lord has helped us. We've seen a lot in it. And uh, anytime you're hearing the word, you're getting more than your head is registering. And so that's why you want to go back and hear some of those same things again. Particularly when something really ministered to you. I mean you, you thought, boy that, that was a good message. And sometimes your friends don't see it. They're like, well it was okay. <laughs> but, but what that means is there was something really ministered to you. Well, go back and watch that one or listen to that one again. Maybe three times, maybe five times, maybe ten times. When it keeps stirring you up like that, then there's something particular that really is ministering to your spirit beyond your head. In um, Romans 12 and 1. Romans 12, 1 says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. We are alive, we exist, not just to serve ourselves. We didn't create the air we breathe. We didn't create the gravity that's holding our feet to the ground. We, we didn't create the blood that flows through our veins. We, and man, through sin and rebellion, lost their self. And through redemption, Jesus bought us back and offered us our freedom again. And so God owns us by right of creation, by right, if he didn't sustain us every millisecond, the sun would quit shining, the planets would fly apart, your molecules would fly apart. You hear sometimes people say really stupid things like there is no evidence of God, just everything you see, everything around you. <laughs> And when people say, well, no, it all came from the Big Bang. That's not science. That's an unproven theory. You weren't there to believe that everything just spontaneously self-created. We got no experience of that in any other area of, of life. That's not science. That's a belief. And it's a deception. Genesis 1 is a belief. In the beginning... God created the heavens and the earth. That's, that's a belief. And it makes me happy. And if you think, well, you just, you know, y'all are just poor, ignorant folk that need the crutch of religion. Well, leave me alone. I'm happy. I, leave me alone. <laughs> but I did notice in the Bible it said, it is the fool who says there is no God. So, Who's the dummy here? <laughs> Verse 2, it said, Be not conformed to this world, 
But be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. There's a danger in this world of just getting caught up in the prevalent mentality. And just, we should be cautious about what we watch and what we listen to because the pervasive mentality of the world is godless and even anti-God. And there's a reason why there has been for decades and continues to be this push to remove God from everything. That's no accident. That's the devil behind that pushing that. And we're warned, don't be conformed to this world. Don't just think like they do, talk like they do, believe like they do. Well, how am I going to do anything different? you got to be transformed. And that happens by the renewing of your mind. And the result of that is that you're then able to prove, to discern, distinguish what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Now we've said there are two big errors even among church going people about the will of God. A lot of people believe that everything that happens is somehow the mysterious will of God. Now when I say a lot of church going people I mean millions of church going people you will hear them attribute everything to the will of God. The worst tragedies the worst, most abhorrent destructions and everything. Well, we don't know why, but it must have been the will of God. We don't know why God did that or why God let that happen, but it must have been. It couldn't have happened if it wasn't His will. That's not true. That's not what the Bible teaches. That's not true. The reality is that there are all kind of things happening on this planet that are not the will of God. That don't please God. Because to say that the aftermath of sin and rebellion is the will of God. Is to say that the sin was somehow the will of God. No. It's not true. It's not true. And you know Jesus part of the what we call the Lord's Prayer. Is actually the Lord teaching us to pray. Is uh, our Father which art in heaven. Hallowed be thy name. What's the next part? Your, your kingdom come. Your will be done. How? On earth. On earth as it is in heaven. How much crime in heaven? How many pandemics? In heaven. How much flu? Or cancer? Or You know why? Because God's will is being done. There. And when God's will is completely done on earth. In the new heaven, new earth, there will be no crime, no pandemic, no heat wave, no frigid freeze up, no tsunamis, no tornadoes, no earthquakes, nobody starving, no more crying, no more pain, no more sorrow, no more dying. Woo! Won't that be... The place to be. Are you? Lo- <laughs> There's a reason they call it heaven. <laughs> That's what you got to look forward to, believer. 
child of God. And oh, how we want to take everybody with us that we can, right? So you don't have to be a preacher to share Christ with others and tell them what he did for you. And because you, we don't want anybody to miss heaven. But he said here, don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so you can prove what's the good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. Now, uh, we've covered a lot of ground about this, and I can't spend too much review or we'll run out of time before we get to the next part. But go with me, if you would, to the um, book of Romans, the eighth chapter. And let's continue. We, we got into some last week about what part being led by the Spirit plays in finding and following, fulfilling the will of God. In Romans 8 and verse 1, Romans 8, 1 says, There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. Now I'm saying this because it's going to come up later. The phrase no condemnation, it, if you look up the words, it's emphatic, none, not any. So what we'd probably say today, zero. How much condemnation? Zero. None, not any. There is Now, no condemnation, that's why it's worded that way. You've heard me say it before, but Phyllis and I were reading our chapter the other day, and we, uh, it's a pretty good translation, but boy, they blew it on that chapter. And we talked about how it totally changed the meaning, because they didn't respect the integrity of the original words. What am I saying? Beware of modern translations. There's a lot of stuff around. They are not good translations. They're not telling you what it said. They're telling you what they think it means. You don't need that. You got the author of the book living inside you. He'll tell you what he meant when he said it and how it applies to you. Now, why would I say it? Because there's a lot of stuff that people have just been too loose. So, um, Especially if you're prompted about something, take a moment, look at it in another translation, or look up the word or something, because there's a reason why the Spirit of God is prompting you. But um, it goes on to say in verse 14 in this same chapter, Romans 8:14, as many as are led by the Spirit, they are the sons of God. Sons of God, that includes male and female, children of God can expect to be led and directed by the Spirit of God. That's also a foreign concept to a lot of church-going people. Why? Well, it goes back to the first error. If everything that happens is the will of God, and nothing's going to happen except the will of God, why do I need to be led? Come on, can you see that? Why do I need to be led by the Spirit? And see, people like that erroneous teaching because it's what I call no-fault religion. What do you mean? No matter what happens, it's not my fault. 
Must have been the will of God. No matter what didn't happen. Also. Not my fault. And people flock to that no responsibility. Teaching. Only problem is. You don't get things. You miss things. And you're always scratching your head. Wondering why. But it's all explained by. Must have been. The, right? The, the will of God. The unknowable. Lies. Subtle lies. Tricky lies. Religious lies. That sound like. You're respecting God. But lies nonetheless. So. Um, he said in verse. 15 and 16. We've not received the spirit of bondage again to fear. But we've received the spirit of adoption. Whereby we cry Abba. Father. This relationship we have with God, this fellowship is intimate. It's, it's as intimate, and it all, always begins by this, we're, we're not born fully developed spiritually, we're born babies. Just like in the natural, physically you're born a baby, then you grow up. And some of the first words of an infant is Abba, Baba, Papa, Mama. And there's often debate about which one was actually said (laughs) first. (laughs) But when there is a a recognition that the little one looks in the eyes of the parents and goes, Mama, Papa, Baba. And that's what this is talking about. That also happens with you And your father God. Hallelujah. When you're born again. This is not religion. This is not institutional stuff. This is you. Experiencing and knowing him. Personally. Directly. Intimately. For yourself. And you do it. This happens internally. It affects you externally. But it's not coming from out here. It happens internally. Hence the term, this inward witness. Read it again. The Spirit himself then, verse 16 rather, bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. Like we're saying, many people, they don't even try to pray and find the will of God. Some religions have taught them not to even read their Bible because you can't understand it. You'll just get confused. And so people are not seeking and searching for the will of God either in the Word or by the Spirit. And so they're oblivious to it and just bump along from one happening to another and from one catastrophe to another and religion tells them, well, it's all the will of God anyhow. You just got to try to hang in there and know that God God has a purpose for everything and and, and, and God, there must be a reason. People say that you, you see people get all stern and religious. Now I just believe that everything happens for a reason. Do you now? Well, now you know I don't doubt that there was a reason. <laughs> but the reason could have been that you were dumb and didn't pray, didn't listen to God, didn't know the word. <laughs> and that it had nothing to do 
with God's will or plan. <laughs> and this is where we really part ways with a lot of churches. <laughs> but uh, is this the word or not? Is it, it's what we're talking about. Is it, is it the word? Why do I need to be renewed in my mind? Why does this process need to go on? Why do I need to get to the point where I can discern what's God's will and what's not? Where, like Ephesians says, don't be foolish any longer, but understanding what the will of the Lord is. Which means I can understand it. Hallelujah. I can get it. And it proves not everything is the will of God, or I wouldn't need any discernment to know what is and what's not. We'll continue then. Skip on down to verse 26 in this same chapter. This is so rich, as you can see, it wouldn't hurt you at all to, on your own time, reread this eighth chapter of Romans again carefully, see what else is in here that you hadn't noticed recently. Said, uh, the Spirit helps our infirmities. Now that doesn't mean sickness. It, it, it could include something affected by it, but the word infirmity literally means weakness. And the weakness that he's specifically referring to here is ignorance. The very next phrase says, for we what? We don't know. That's one of our biggest weaknesses and issues as human beings down here on planet earth is that all the stuff we don't know. Even the most enlightened among us, like Paul, says, we know in part. What does that mean? There's parts you don't know yet. We're talking about Paul, who had multiple visitations by the head of the church, was even caught up to heaven and heard and saw stuff. And after decades of that, he says, well, we know part of it. Which shows how much there is to see and know. Well, God being big, there's a lot to see. And he goes on to say, the Spirit, verse 26, the Spirit helps our weaknesses. For we know not what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit itself, maybe a better translation there would be himself, makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. And he that searches the hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit because he makes intercession for the saints according to what? According to what? According to what? And that's what we've been talking about, right? Is the will of God. Is prayer involved in this? Is the Holy Spirit involved in you and I finding out? And, and then being able to walk in and experience the will of God. Notice this phrase. He that searches the hearts. Knows. And he's talking about the spirit. And he's talking about the heart. And he's talking about searching. Go to Proverbs. They'll put this on the screen for us. But this is so rich. Proverbs 20. Proverbs 20. 27. It says the spirit of man is the candle of the Lord, searching all the inward parts of the belly. Now when he's talking about belly, he's not just talking about your physical stomach. He's talking about your insides, spiritually, the core of your being. Listen to another translation or two. The CJB, the complete Jewish translation says, 
The human spirit is a lamp of Adonai. It searches one's inmost being. Another one said, the spirit of man is the lamp of Jehovah searching all his innermost parts. What is? The spirit of the man is the Lord's means of illumination to the man or woman. He uses your spirit to enlighten you. And illuminate your mind as to his words, his ways, his will, his plan. Can you see that? Where is your spirit? Not out here. In here. So you don't need to be looking out here for the will of God. I don't know if you heard that or not. Somebody says, well, you know, Gideon put out fleeces. Yeah, Gideon wasn't saved either. Never been born again. Didn't have the Holy Spirit. You couldn't tell Gideon, just be led, brother. He's like, how? By who? What? No, the danger of putting out fleeces is that the enemy is out here. And crazy people. And, And he can do stuff that influences you. And you don't want to pray. Lord now if this is you. Let three red cars pass by. In succession. <laughs> and if you see three red cars. That does not mean it was the Lord. Now granted. This is not all just written in stone. The Lord has mercy on babies. And sometimes when you don't know any better. And he knows you know. Somebody says, well, I did that and it worked. Well, praise God. But don't keep doing that. You need to grow up and learn how to be internally led. Not looking out here where the enemy could possibly influence things, but looking in here where the Spirit of God lives inside of you. Oh, somebody say, thank you, Lord. Oh, somebody say, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. There is so much. If I had time and were so inclined, we would. There's so many things to, to look and see about this. Go to 1 Corinthians 2. And I'll give you a little bit of it. 1 Corinthians 2 and 9. The Spirit of God is the candle or the lamp are the light of the Lord searching all the inward parts of the King James says belly but others said inmost being. In 1 Corinthians 2 and verse 9 it said as it is written I has not seen nor ear heard neither have entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for them that love him and a lot of folks stop right there at the end of that verse And just keep talking about how we don't see it. We never have. We never will. And one of these days over yonder in the sweet by and by, we're going to see some stuff. But for now, sorry. I hadn't seen it. Ear hadn't heard it. 
No, how many doctrines would have been radically changed if you just read the next verse? And this is one of those. Verse 10, but. So he wasn't through talking. Is that right? He wasn't through talking. But God has revealed them. Them what? Them what? What I hadn't seen. What ear hadn't heard. What happened into the heart of man, the things of God that, that he's prepared for them that love him. But God has revealed them to us by his spirit. For the spirit searches all things. There's that word again, searching. Searching. Everybody say searching. Jesus said, ask, it'll be given. Seek, and you'll find. Knock, and it'll be open to you. For everyone that asks, receives. He that seeks, finds. To him that knocks, it'll be open to you. The Lord pointed this out to me. You know, Solomon was the wisest man in the world and in his generation, and even naturally speaking today. And Ecclesiastes, I hadn't noticed this before, but Ecclesiastes is his writing, Solomon's, by the Spirit of God, and he keeps talking about how he sought for wisdom, how he searched for it, and his heart made diligent search. Uh, see, so many times people think if God wants you to have something, it just falls on you with no effort of your own. No, one reason he was the wisest man, yeah, God gave it to him, but he wanted it. He was hungry for it. Can you see that? He Every day, he was looking for it. He was searching for it. And that's what the Lord said about in Jeremiah 29. This thing's growing on me while I'm talking. Hold your place. Hold your place in 1 Corinthians 2. Put on the screen. Don't try to turn there. But Jeremiah 29, 11. Said out loud, seek. And you will find. What about the will of God? Do you need to look for it? Yeah, you do. And see, again, that's where that erroneous doctrine, if you believe that nothing can happen except it is the will of God, and the only things that ever happen are the will of God, you don't need to seek for anything. You just need to wake up and see what happens. No seeking involved, no searching involved. Again, no fault, no responsibility. But that's just not true. That's not how it is. We need to be on the search for the things of God. We, we need to be after them, looking for them, reaching for them, asking for them. And if you do that with a sincere heart and in faith, God will see to it that you find it. He said it. He'll see to it. In Jeremiah 29, 11, and this is familiar with some, and if not, man, you ought to mark this. This is so wonderful. He said, I know the thoughts. God's talking. I know the thoughts, and if you look up this word, these, that includes plans, that I think towards you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil to give you an expected end. So chaos, destruction, evil manifested in your life, that can't be the will of God. That can't be his perfect plan and will. He said different. Verse 12, then... Shall you call upon me, 
You'll go and pray to me, and I'll hearken to you. I'll hear you. I'll listen to you. Verse 13, and you will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. Hallelujah. What if you don't even try? You don't pray. You don't care. You never ask God. You never look for his will. You never look for his plan. Well, you won't find it because you don't care enough about it. But if you want it, you look for it. And if you look for it, he said in multiple places, he'd see to it that you found it. Hallelujah. Years ago, Phyllis got down in the floor of our little, by our little kitchen table and, and we committed, Lord, we want your will. We want your will. We want your plan. We don't care where we need to go, who we need to see, what we need to do. We want your plan. That's how we met you. That's right. That's how we met you. That's how we met the folks of Sarasota. That's how we, all of these things have happened. God heard a prayer. He knew we weren't just talking around, making stuff up. He knew we weren't just empty religious talk. We really meant it. Did you, did you see that phrase? When you search for him with what all your heart, then what's going to happen? He said, you'll find me. And when you find him, you find something good. You find the plan of God, the will of God, the blessing of God. And he's that way with you too. You've got to look for it. You've got to look for it. Now, uh, in uh, Acts, go to Acts please, and then go to Matthew. I'm trying to uh, wind this up. Acts 24. And 16. Acts 24, 16. Paul said by the Spirit, he said, Herein do I exercise myself, again, that's us having to do something, to have always a conscience void of offense toward God and toward men. Now, that's a whole study within itself. A few years ago, the Lord gave us a series called Clear to Hear. Clear to Hear. And we spent hours and hours, nine parts to that series, on the conscience. What it is, how it works. And that's available online, clear to hear. Won't cost you anything, no charge. If you're in the building, I think they probably got some of those as well. But why is that significant? What part of God's being, excuse me, of our being, does God use to guide us, lead us, communicate with us? Not your body. Not your head. Not your head. Your spirit. Your inner being. Well, reason is the voice of the mind and the intellect. That's not what he uses. Conscience is the expression, or if you could call it, the voice of your spirit. What is conscience? Your conscience. If you look up the word, it actually literally means co-knowing. Co-seeing 
like with your eyes, are co-knowing. And seeing has to do with knowing. We, we use that terminology. When you understand something, you say, I see that. But the word is co, co-knowing. That involves two people. And there is another person who lives inside you. Hallelujah. And he causes you to know something that he knows. And your conscience, Romans talks about, will either accuse or excuse you. Romans 2, you read about this. And in Romans 9, you read about this. And I'm giving you a really quick synopsis. Nine parts. To the series, clear to hear. Living a successful life walking with God, it is essential to keep a clear conscience. You can't do it without it. And the two big ways you keep a clear conscience, number one, is by faith in the blood of Jesus. Oh, come on, did you hear that? Hebrews chapter 9, chapter 10 other places, talk about that the blood of animals could never wash away sin and could never purge a conscience. But Jesus offered once and for all his own blood, obtained an eternal redemption for us, and that blood will cleanse and purge you from an evil or a bad conscience. There's no drug, there's no amount of counseling, there's nothing that can fix a bad conscience of things you have done and mistakes you have made, except the one and only blood. Somebody say, thank God for the blood, thank God for the blood. Why? Because the Lord doesn't just hide your sins from you. He doesn't just cover your sins. He cleanses you so that they are not there anymore. And you can actually get free. No, no matter what you did, it is possible to have a completely clear conscience by the blood of the Lamb. And if that's new to you and you're wondering about it, then you need to feed on that. You need to camp on that until you get that. But that's not the whole thing. Even though you receive forgiveness and cleansing and it becomes real to you and your conscience is cleansed and you are clear, if you keep violating light, your conscience is going to keep bothering you. Is that right? And even if you keep repenting about it, if you keep doing it, you're going to keep having problems with your conscience. You can get it free again, but you got to walk in the light of what you know and what you have. That's why he, he used this language. I always exercise myself. To have a conscience. Void of offense. Toward God and toward man. What does that mean? Well if you know you did something wrong. Toward somebody. You do what you can to make it right. And to deal with it. And if, even if they won't forgive you. You do what you know to do. And then you receive your forgiveness from God. And you can be clear no matter what they choose to do. But the big problem 
is not dealing with things. And just letting them sit there and letting them accumulate. Now, I don't know if you noticed or not, but that series I mentioned to you, what was the title? Clear to Hear. And have you ever noticed, if you got an item that you're looking for, and you go to find it, and you try to think, maybe it was in that box, or in that drawer, and that drawer is full of other stuff, is it easy to find? What do you got to do? Search. Is that right? But the searching is complicated. Especially if it's mucky. Spider webs, dirt, right? And you know, I, I heard about some guys a, a while back, well, this has been a couple of years back, as a, a guy was working on his car. And he got to a point and realized he needed a tool. He goes, I got one of those. I got one of those. And he went back to his shop. And I mean, everything was strode everywhere. And it was greasy and nasty and dirty. And he searched for 30 minutes. And then he looked over the whole thing. He said, ah, oh, skip that. He went to the store and bought a new one. Because <laughs> he decided it's going to take him too long to find it. He's got one. He's got one right there. But he thought it'd be too hard to find. You know, we just did the um, parsonage project. What was it? Um, a few months back, whatever. And one of the things is uh, uh, Phyllis got a new closet. And uh, it's nice. Roomy. And uh, one of the nice things about it is it's uncluttered. And we've had a saying for years now. A place for everything and everything in its place. And if you got it like that and you need it, you can go right straight, put your hand on it. Is that right? Because you know where to look without going through all this other stuff. Why am I talking about that? Your spirit can be clear and your conscience clean, and it's easy to find things. It's easy to hear from God. It's easy to distinguish what the Lord's saying to you when your spirit's like that. But your spirit can also be a cluttered mess. What do you mean? Things undealt with. Things unfinished. And instead of finishing it, you know, isn't that the way a, a natural mess happens? You started something and you didn't finish it. Then you started something else, you didn't finish that. You started to clean that, but then you got interrupted. You never came back and finished it. Then you got another one. Then you got another one. Then you got another one. And it gets to the point where you're afraid to open that closet door. <laughs> Could be dangerous. Stuff falling out because, you know, for months and years, you've just opened the door and stuck something in there. And, and uh, <laughs> your spirit can be that way. So what do you got to do? So you're, you're looking for the will of God 
How are you going to find that out? Not out here. Where am I going to look for that? I need to pray. The Spirit of God will actually help me pray about it. He searches the hearts. He knows what's the mind of God. He helps you pray according to the will of God. So it's in there. And so when I'm looking, you know, should I go over there? Should I do that? Should we be a part of that? What should we do? And so many times it is a jumbled mess of all the things you didn't finish, you didn't listen to, you didn't pay attention to, didn't forgive that person, still holding a grudge about that. The Lord said, do this, but you never did anything about it. The Lord said, repent over that, but no, you were too embarrassed and ashamed. You didn't want to deal with that, so you're hiding that and covering this and procrastinated for 10 years on that, and it's still there. And so you're trying to find the will of God in the middle of all that, and it makes it hard. It makes it complicated. And that's why so many struggle with things being clear and distinct to them. Now, all of us have made mistakes along this line. But it costs you. Especially as the years go on. What do you do? To him that knows to do good. Doesn't do it. That's sin. Romans says whatever is not a faith. Or whatever is done without a sense of its approval by God. Is, is sin. What is sin? Violating light. Missing the mark. It all has to do with what you know. And you can fool other people about what you know, but you can't fool God. About what you do see and what you do know. What can you do? Start cleaning house. What do you do? When the Lord brings something to your mind, what do you do? Okay, Lord, I, I, I will quit procrastinating. I will deal with that. How do you clean up? A whole house that is just a giant mess. One corner. <laughs> is that right? One corner to one room at a time. Is that right? Don't just try to be, don't be overwhelmed. Don't let the devil overwhelm you. Sure. If you'd have done a better job at this 40 years ago, you wouldn't be where you are now. But you can't change all that. But by the grace of God, you can. See if you can get this fixed. Decide to obey. Forgive. Come on, are y'all with me? Do, and what, what happens is more and more you get cleared up, you get cleared up. Then when you're endeavoring to look to God for direction, you look in there, everything's in its place. And the spot you're looking for, there it is. That's what you're looking for. It's real clear. Hallelujah. Does this sound good to anybody? Woo. Hallelujah. Praise God. This ministry has been brought to you today free of charge by the partners of More Life Ministries and Faith Life Church. If you would like to help send this word to others at no charge, you can become a word sender today. For more information, visit our website at morelife.org.